What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Recorded live. Well, here we are. I'd like to welcome you to another night of Redneck Pride Outdoors, where we talk about hunting, trapping, and fishing and God's creation. Uh, tonight's uh, show is sponsored by Redneck Pride Game Calls and Outdoor Sense, where we make uh, all types all types of scents and lures and baits, uh, from the deer trade right on down to the to trapping and ADC fishing scents. Uh, you name it, we we make it. That's enough of that sales pitch there. We're going to get right into the show. Now, we're going to do something a little different tonight. Uh, I'm flying solo. Um, I've got a couple people listening. But uh, we're going to fly solo, and uh, we're going to cover coon general habits. Now, forgive me, but I'm probably going to go right into lecture mode just because there's nobody really going to talk on the phone tonight. Uh, so I'm going to go right into my my mindset that, that if I was standing up in front of a a group of folks in a wildlife control conference or whatever. I'm going to just go right into that mode. So if I if I seem to go on autopilot, you know what what happened. I I went in, I went into lecture mode on you. But we want to cover tonight. I want to cover raccoon general habits. You know, and 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 this is something that uh, to the ADC or to the wildlife control person. The, there's a there's a wealth of knowledge here because they're dealing with this on a 12 month a year basis. Every you know every month they've got a raccoon job, and and there's a lot of little things that we've got to deal with in the ADC field when we're dealing with uh, raccoons and houses or 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 what have you. Um, when you get into when you get into the fur trapping, okay. As a fur trapper, you're really not interested or you really don't see a benefit of a lot of the stuff I'm going to cover tonight, okay? But if you just hold still and just listen, at the end of the show, you might find that a lot of this stuff is going to be very valuable to you as a fur trapper. So we've got some folks going to be coming on later, I think, in the ADC field where, we're, where we're, this is our occupation, this is our job. We've got to get these raccoons and then there's the fur trappers. Hopefully, he's going to jump on here. The reason I'm doing the general uh, habits and behaviors tonight is because in a few weeks we're going to get into the advanced uh, DP course, and a lot of this material that we're going to cover tonight will make that show go smoother and faster. So we don't spend five or six hours on that show trying to talk about everything. We're going to cover this end of it here, the generals, and then we're going to go right into the DPs in a few weeks. And by that time, things are going to make sense to you. Now, you, everything I tell you tonight or everything I talk to you tonight, unless there's some questions thrown at me or some other guys jump on board and throw their, their, uh, their thoughts in there, is based on 48 years of a, as a trapper, okay, and based on 37 years as a wildlife control specialist. Much of the stuff that I talk about tonight, 30 years ago, as a fur trapper, I would have never said these things to you 
as I would will tonight. But what I'm going to actually do is, okay, I'm going to show you what I've learned, what I've seen, what I've been taught by many others. I wish I could tell you that everything I've got here tonight was, was you know, figured out by myself, but it wasn't. Okay, there's a lot of, a lot of good people sitting there talking at wildlife conferences or or uh, trapping conventions and, and just just sitting down and, and, and listening to people talk and, and people that you know can get her done and, and then coming back and then proving what they told me is true. So here's my challenge to you tonight. You know, it's real easy for you to listen to a lot of this stuff I'm going to tell you tonight. And as a fur trapper, you're probably going to say to yourself, what the heck is he talking about? As an ADC guy, you, you're going to you're going to understand that probably a little bit better when we get into the uh, the out of season stuff that that you as a fur trapper wouldn't understand or see on a regular basis. But here's what my challenge is to you tonight. You know, it's real easy to to listen to somebody talk and in your mind prove that they're wrong. Okay, but in this case here, what I'm going to ask you to do as you're listening is don't try to prove I'm wrong, but go out and prove that I'm right. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an example. Back in about eight, 1989, I, I was making baits and lures for the ADC industry, and I called up my essential oil distributor, and I was making some orders for my oils that I needed for our, our, our baits and lures for the wildlife control industry. And old Jeff said to me, he goes, you don't see how come you don't make deer sense? And I said, uh, don't believe in them. And now, you got to remember back in them days, I was young, I was good looking, and I was a pretty doggone good deer hunter, okay? I only hunted a tree stand if the wind was absolutely correct, okay? You didn't, you didn't take chances. You did everything perfection. Nothing was out of the ordinary. And I tried tinks, I tried all kinds of different deer scents out there, and nothing seemed to work. I couldn't get a deer to come in to sniff a bottle of anything, right? So in my mind, I deer scents just was a flat ripoff. People who made deer scents was ripoffs, and they were just ripping everybody off. So when I said to him, deer scents just don't work, oh, Jeff, instead of doing what we would normally do, uh, you're an idiot or, you know, you're wrong or whatever, he said to me, Jonesy, can you make a lure to call fox in? I said, yeah. How about a raccoon? I said, yeah. Muskrat, yeah. I said, Jeff, what are you getting at? He said, what are they? My reply, obviously, was they're an animal. He got quiet for a second, and I can remember this conversation, even though it was way back when. I can remember this conversation like it was yesterday. He said, well, what the heck is a deer? Right? It's an animal. We both know that. Then he said something to me. He said, Jonesy, here's what I want you to try to do. I said, what's that, bud? He said, I want you to do everything in your power to formulate a deer scent. Do everything positive. Go out, go overboard to formulate a deer scent based on what you know, animals, behavior, and, 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 and habits. He said, and then I want you to do everything in your power to make that deer scent work. And I said to him, well, what will that prove, Jeff? He said, because if you do everything in your power, everything, no negative at all, everything is positive, you're trying to make a deer scent, and you're trying to make that deer scent work, he said, if that deer scent doesn't work, 
I mean, you can shout it from the mountaintops at deer, scents, or hoax, rip-offs, or whatever. He said, but if you make that deer scent work, so if it doesn't work, you can shout it out, and you can tell everybody it's a rip-off, but if you make that deer scent work, then you've got one of the best products on the market, more than likely. Well, here, 30-some years later, guess what? Old, old Jones, he's a, a deer scent manufacturer. Why? Because I took his advice, and instead of taking what my natural mindset was, which was what? It ain't going to work. Deer scents don't work. It's a ripoff. Instead of doing that, I sat down, looked at the deer behavior, looked at the deer habits, and started to formulate deer scents that I thought would work, and son of a gun if we didn't come out with deer scents. Now, this isn't an infomercial for deer scents. What this is saying is to you as a fur trapper or to you as an ADC man, okay, when you hear something from somebody, instead of saying, ah, that ain't going to work, that's not the way I do it, do me a favor. Don't tell nobody you're doing it because you, you don't want anybody to you know, think ill of you. But when you hear something, do everything in your possible power to see if they're right. Because here's the proof. Here's the, here's the truth. You can always take a truth and finagle it enough to make it not true. But you can't take a not truth and finagle it to make it truth. So in other words, you understand what I'm trying to say to you? If it's true and you try everything you possibly can to make it right, it's going to come out right. But if it's not right, it's not going to work at all. Is that making sense to everybody? Hopefully it does. Now, I've rattled on about that enough. And uh, let's just get into the show here. We're going to talk about uh, the deer sense, um, or not deer sense, I'm sorry. We're going to talk about coon behavior, general behavior, and we're going to refer to it in the what I call the 4W system, okay? And how I came up with this 4W system, and <laughs> ironically, I came up with this 4W system way back when, when I was doing squirrel work. Um, we was... We was uh, Trying to figure squirrels out. We was, you know, squirrel make you look stupid as all get out. But I came up with this 4W system. And what the 4W system is simply this. What, where, when, why. Now, as an ADC guy, when you look at what is there, when is it there, where is it at when it's there, and why is it there, there's not a job you can't solve. No. You notice I didn't say there's not an animal you can't catch because there's going to be animals you can't catch. I don't care how good you are. There's going to be a lot of animals you can't catch. But when you know what is there, not only what as in raccoon, but what as in raccoon, sow with pups, what as in boar raccoon, what as is young female. You got my drift on that one, right? The what is not just the species that you're after, but the what is the exact problem or the exact critters that you're going after. So as a fur trapper, when you're coming in on a location, you're looking for, yes, coon, but what is there? Is it going to be boars? Is it going to be sows? Is it going to be uh, family units? What time of year is it going to be? That's going to play a lot of the bases on what is actually there, okay? The what is already figured out. Now, the, the, the when is a key, okay? When is it coming through? Is it coming through on a regular basis? Is it coming through on a, on a haphazard uh, schedule? When is it going to be there? 
the where. This is what everybody gets me. Well, what do you mean where? Well, it's just simple. The where is not general, but the where is absolute. In other words, where is that raccoon going to put his foot? Where is that raccoon going to put his head? Where is that raccoon going to cross over that creek? Where is that raccoon going to cross the road? Where is it going to run down the road? You got my drift on that. And why? Here's probably the biggest question that you've got to have figured on. If you can figure this one out, you've got her down. Why is the critter there? Maybe the, maybe that raccoon is going to be there for food. Maybe he's going to be there for love. Maybe he's going to be there because he needs to be there to get from point A to point B. But the why? So the 4W system, okay, I've covered that. I think I'm going to leave, all, leave on that uh, note there. If you don't understand it, you can give me a call or shoot some emails to me or, or ponder on it for a little bit, okay? The next thing I want to talk to you is the 4W system, but it's going to be based on the 80-20 concept. All right. Now, the 80-20 concept is simply this. The 80-20 concept is not a absolute numbers, but it is what we call respective or, or, or meaning. Okay? In other words, the 80% is going to reflect or mean that a, a portion of the population of raccoons is actually going to be what we call no-brainers. Okay? There's going to be raccoons that's going to go right into a cage trap, right into a snare, right into a DP trap, right into a foot trap. Whatever, whatever sets you've got out there, 80% of those critters are going to be very, very easy to catch. All right? The 20% is going to represent the ones that's difficult to catch. They're not quite as, hard, they're not quite as um, dumb, if you will. Now, the 80% could be first-year young, could be dumb ones, could be ones that's not pressured. But the 20% usually is going to be what? They're going to be a little bit older coon. They're going to be a little bit bigger coon. Okay, they're going to be a little bit smarter. They've they've lived at least a year, if not a few years. They've been around the block once or twice. Okay, now I see somebody's from East Maryland on here. So whoever that is, if you want to chime in at all, you just you just shout out and say, "Hey Jonesy, um, who is it from East Maryland anyway?" By the way, yeah, you're on mute too, I guess. All right. From where? From where, Jonesy? Oh, oh never mind. I know who this is. Close it up. <laughs> What? I'm going back to silent mode. Well, what are you doing listening to a coon talk, boy? <laughs> Never know when you might pick up something. All right, buddy. It's not that I don't like to catch them. I don't like to put them up. <laughs> I don't blame you. And especially when they hand me money to do it. <laughs> I, I love catching them there. Well, you're, you're, you can catch them. We both know that, Morgan. Yeah. By the way, those people, if you don't recognize that voice, as Morgan Bennett. He's a he's a fellow buddy of mine and a fellow instructor, so he's a good old boy. I used him as an example over on Trapper Man the other day. Yes, you did. But, <laughs> but getting back to the 80-20 concept, okay? I actually came up with the 80-20 concept again when I was working squirrels because what we would find is we would catch out of a family unit, bam, 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 and then the last one or two squirrels would be a pain in the butt, and we just couldn't figure out what was going on, and that's when we finally came up with the 80-20 concept. Now, a lot of the stuff, when we get into the talks on trapping and, and, and what have you, uh, maybe not so much tonight, but a lot of my talk that you hear me talk about, I'm going to talk about the 20%. And here's why. Everything I do, whether it's setting a cage trap, setting a snare, setting a DP or whatever, my mindset is the 
Why? Because the 80% is going to be no-brainers. No matter what I do, they're probably going to go right into the trap. 20% won't. So if I'm doing a job, I don't want to wait three or four days to figure out if I've got a coon that's going to be trap shy or a coon that's going to be trap smart or a coon that's going to be DP wary. I want to know that as quick as I possibly can. So we developed some ways to figure out exactly what is going on with that trap when we go there. For example, as a fur trapper or an ADC guy, the way I bait my traps is not just haphazard. The way we bait my traps is so I can tell, number one, did an animal come past that trap last night? Number two, is that animal spooky or is that animal cautious or is that animal dumb? How do we know he's dumb? He's in the trap. Okay. Number three, we bait our traps to add what we call excitement. Okay. I don't know what he's in the mood for, but I want him in that trap. I want him around that DP. I want him in a snare or whatever. So what we're going to, what we're going to do is we're going to do things to entice or to, as I put it, take his mind off the negative and put it onto the positive. So as you're hearing me talk about the 80-20%, I'm not going to talk about the 80% as far as catching them because they're no-brainers. I'm talking about catching the critters in the 20%, which means we've got to go a little bit more, if you will. Now, here's the key. As an ADC person, I need that 20% or I don't get paid. When I'm called in for a raccoon job, I've got to catch every raccoon or I've got to get, deal with every raccoon that's in that house. If there is one raccoon left and he starts to rip, a house, rip the house again, I, I may have been able to uh, seal that house up tight enough to where he can't get back in, but those customers seem to get a little ticky when the old uh, shingles start falling off the house because he's trying to rip it back in. Okay, So as a wildlife control specialist, I'm going to go after that 20%. I want to catch every one of those raccoons I can. I want to take them out of the picture. I want to get them gone all right, so they're not a problem for me down the road on my warranty work. As a trapper, why do you want to go after the 20%? Well, you really don't want to, okay? Most trappers are saying, listen, they pay the same for the dumb ones as they do the, uh, the smart ones, okay? And that's the truth. So why put the effort into it? Well, because most of the time, like just like old Jeff told me one time, and he mentioned it, after thinking about the 20%, those 20% are probably bigger coon or bigger animals or better quality animal. And that's exactly the truth there. When you've, got, when you've got that 20%, they're usually the better critter, in other words, where you're going to have that triple X or you're going to have that double X, which in these fur prices that we have today, all right, if you're going to trap a coon, let's, let's trap a $6 coon instead of a $1.50 coon, correct? All right. So that's, that's the 80-20 concept. Now let's get it right into, hopefully I'm not boring you too much, but uh, I want to say one more thing here. This is something I've developed years ago or thought about or figured out or however it was, but there's, you know, you, you sit down in a room and you see two trappers. And as they're talking, they're both good trappers. But you can't tell which one's the better trapper. You can't tell anything about it because you're just talking to them. And here, I'm going to use this example, okay? You've got two trappers that know what they're doing. You've got two trappers that can catch the heck out of critters. But there's a difference between, say, two trappers. There's a real fine line between a good trapper and a real good trapper. 
And it's such a fine line that you can't even tell which one, what it is as you're talking to them. But here's the fine line. The fine line is a good trapper will do what they need to do when they see they need to do it. But the real good trapper will do what they need to do before they see they need to do it. There's what I'm going to try to convince you tonight, why these habits, these general habits are important. Because as you learn what the coon does all year long, when it comes time to, for you to deal with that coon, whether it's fur trapping or ADC work, okay, there's not a phase, there's not a time, there's not a situation that you're not going to get into that if you know the coon like the back of your hand, you're going to know what to do to catch them. You're going to know how to catch the 80%. You're going to know how to catch the 20%. All right. So that's the reason why I feel, and I may be wrong, but that's the reason I feel that uh, just the general behaviors, just the general habits of the raccoons is a very, very important uh, tidbit, if you will, or knowledge to have to, to understand. Now, I think the first thing that uh, we've got to understand is, is coon trappers, either ADC or fur, is number one, raccoons are not starving. You know, um, I talk to so many trappers out there, and we put so much emphasis on the baits. You know, we, we, we look at the baits. Now, listen, I'm a bait and lure maker, so I want to tell you that my baits and lures are the best out there. Anybody tells you that their baits and lures are, are the best, they're, they're just mistaken because mine is. Okay, that's what I'm going to tell you as a salesman. That's what I'm going to tell you as a bait and lure maker. But the truth of the matter is, as a, as a fur trapper, as an ADC guy, there are baits better than others. There are baits worse than others. But the truth of the matter is this, that raccoon is not starving most of the time. Okay. They're hungry. All right. They're, they're always wanting to eat but they're not starving. And I use that, I'll use another example on that. If I get up in the morning, go out to work at 6 o'clock in the morning, I grab a little bit of breakfast or whatever it is. I work all day. Come lunchtime, I'm just so busy I can't stop for lunch, and, I'm, and I just go right on through lunch. Come home around 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, whatever time, if I'm lucky, and I say to my wife, what's her dinner? And she says, oh, we didn't get a chance to cook anything. We're going to have to go to the restaurant. I say, okay, let's go to the restaurant. I go on out to the restaurant. Do I sit down in that booth and I say to the waiter or waitress, bring me whatever you got, I'm starving? Or do I say to the waitress or waiter, what you got? And I look at the menu and I might take five minutes. It's like some people I've sat there looking at them. They're taking 15, 20 minutes trying to figure out what they want to eat. But the truth of the matter is, even though I'm extremely hungry, I'm still going to be picky at what I want to eat. That's the same thing that we're dealing with with these coons. Okay, they're going to be picky on what they want to eat. Now, if we're offering them good baits, they're going to eat it. If we're offering them a bad piece of bait, they're not going to eat it. That's that shrimp. That's simple. Now, there's no absolutes. Let me rephrase this. The only absolute in wildlife control and the only absolute in fur trapping is there's no absolutes. So I'm making all these general uh, statements and these, these normals, if you will, but there's always going to be the time when, you know, something's going to be different. And I wish the doggone coon would read our books and our, our articles and our 
listen to our podcasts and, and go over on Trapper Man and read how to catch them because it would make our job a lot easier. But the truth of the matter is they don't, so it makes our job, so we got to figure things out. So there's going to be things that's going to happen as a general, but there's always going to be a rule that's going to be broken. But as a rule, you know, that old rotten piece of fish head that's in the back of that cage or that in the bottom of that DP trap may not be what that old coon is wanting, even though we think it is. Okay? So they're not starving. Always keep that in mind. When you're going to go after a coon, I always try to figure out what is going to entice that coon into that DP, into that cage, into that whatever, into that foot trap, that pocket set, whatever. It may not be fish. It may be fish. It may be a taste of cake oatmeal raisin bar. It may be a, a chicken bone. It may be one of my baits, no mows or goddard, and who knows, or whatever. But I'm always going to think, what is it going to take to get that critter, that coon, into that set? Okay. Second thing, I think what most folks don't understand with the raccoon is the average wild coon is only going to live about two to four years. Some will get older, and, you know, I've seen where captivity, they'll go from 16 to 20 years, and then they get the old fat coon and all that. But typically, your wild coon, if you get a coon that's going to be five years old, six years old, you're talking about a big old coon that's 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 up there in years. Now, from New Jersey here, I see a lot of old coon, but, you know, I'm not seeing any 30-pounders. I'm seeing, you know, 15, 18, 15 to 20, 15 to 22 pounds. But I'm not seeing any of those the old 30, 35 pounders. My biggest ones that I've ever caught was 32 and, and uh, uh, 35. Okay, that was many many years ago. I haven't seen one come close to that again, and I'm and I'm probably not expecting to see another one come close to that ever again. So when you got that uh, normal age span of two to four years old. These raccoons are, are are not as old as we're thinking they are, okay? Again, like I just told you, the average weight here in the northeast, uh, in the lower northeast, I guess, and and Morgan and, and uh, Jeff and whoever else is listening, you're probably going to agree with this. You know, 15 to 22-pound coons are, are good-sized coons. The farther south you get, you're going to get smaller coons. Uh, the farther north you get, you're going to get bigger coons, but... But, you know, nationwide, I was looking into research, and it seemed that the 15 to 22, 15 to 24 pounds would be your your normal um, size coon. Uh, I remember being up in Maine a few years back, quite a few years back, and seeing this old dead coon on the side of the road. And my first thoughts was, my God, that sucker's have bloated all up. Well, the problem was it was November, and it was froze 18 degrees up there, and I realized that sucker wasn't bloated. He was, he was a big old coon, and I had to go look at him and, it did look like a little bear, but you know, in general, um, down here, most most of us are not going to deal with those monster monster coons like like uh, we hear about. Um, breeding seasons. When's the breeding season going to start? Most of the time, the breeding season is going to run oh January, February, and March. It's going to it's going to get in there. We're going to. Um, start to see breeding here in, in New Jersey here in the next week or so. Um, actually, I'm starting to see signs of, of breeding, not breeding itself, but it looks like the sows are getting ready to come into heat. So we're going to start to see these these breeding activities coming in. But again, January, February, March, we're going to see the breeding coming in. All right. 
And here's something that most of us don't realize. If a coon, old Sal, isn't bred the first time around, she may come back into heat four months later. Right? This explains why a lot of this will, will in, the, in the ADC field, uh, a lot of this will, will get into uh, pups late June with their eyes still closed. So I guess when you're looking at higher densities of uh, raccoons, okay, um, in bigger, longer areas, it's possible that you'll get your first breeding, it's going, which is going to be in that, that whatever that time frame in January, February, March. And then you'll get four months later for the sows that didn't, that didn't breed. Now, down in the south area, they tell me that some of the sows will breed later on a regular basis than the old house. So uh, I guess it's the same as your deer hunting down there. Um, you know, I was down trapping in Texas with Newt and, and Darcy and them boys, and the deer was still rutting in February. So, you know, up here, we don't have a hard rut. we got some deer that will still breed in February, but but it's not what we would classify as a hard rut. We're down there, the scrapes was being worked, and it seemed to be a pretty good, uh, at least a secondary rut going on down there. So the coons, even though the book says January, February, March, depending on your, your regions, um, could be a little bit later, or if they didn't breed the first time, they're going to breed the second time. Am I boring, boring you guys yet, or, or what? Probably. I'm seeing some people, maybe maybe some people dropping off or what have you. All right. Another tidbit, the, fat, the sow coon can breed at 10 months old. Okay. Now, a lot of females may not breed that first year, but the sows can breed at 10 months old. Your boars can breed at a year, all right, but most of the time they won't because the big old boars aren't going to let them aren't going to let them breed. They're going to take over the dens where the females are at, and they're going to they're going to um, keep the younger guys from from breeding. Okay, we all understand that the big boars uh, dominate over the little guys. Gestation periods is going to be 63, 64 days for the salcoon, and she's going to have three to six young. Uh, are born five, four to five seems to be an average, but uh, you know anywhere from three to six. Sometimes you see seven or eight, but most of the time it's going to be you know four or five is going to be born uh, with the sows. All right. I'm feeling. I, I don't know if I'm boring you guys, or hopefully you guys are rolling and running right on in. The young will be weaned at about ten, eight to ten weeks old. Now again, you fur trappers, you're probably saying, why do I got to listen to all this crap? Well, you don't have to. To the ADC guy, it's important, but not to the fur trapper. The fur trapper, you just want to deal with your breeding season, and you want to deal with what I call phase six, which is coon or coon, all right? But all these other phases, two, three, four, five, are dealing with the ADC boy. So if you're an ADC boy, you want to pay attention to this. Now, eight to ten weeks old is when she's going to start to bring food into the pups, Right. That means a lot of things to you. All right. When you're talking to your customers, you've got to you've got to try to figure out what's going on because in all reality, if you get a call and you've got a sow that's got pups eight weeks old, they've been in there for at least eight to ten weeks. See, unless you just moved them in there from being pushed out of somewhere else's house, somebody else's house, 
she's been in there for that long. So if you're talking to your customer and you say, how long you've been hearing this uh, this uh, noise up there, okay, if they don't, for some odd reason, don't hear the chattering going on, but if they tell you, oh, close to two months, all right, you know what you got. You've got some pups. They're, they're probably getting close to being weaned. And also what that could mean is you might find some things up in that attic that you're really not crazy to find, like maybe a half-eaten dead cat, maybe squirrels eating. Um, a lot of times I'll get calls with customers saying that uh, there's something, something strange smell coming up, and you go up there and you'll find a carcass of something up there where an old sow grabbed a hold of that thing and she's taking it up to her pups up there so they can start tearing it apart and eating it and, and what have you have you. At about 12 weeks old, that sow, she's going to start to move her pups out of that den. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about houses right now, but, but again, the same den could be a barn. The den could be a uh, hole in the ground for all I know. You know, but at, at about 12 weeks old, they're going to be old enough to where she's going to start to take them out of that den. They're going to start venturing outside that den. They're going to start looking around. And she's going to start getting them ready to go on the nightly parades, if you will, or nightly uh, runs. Okay, At about this time, she's going to uh, have different dens, if you will. She's not going to have the same den at, that, at, the, at this point. She's going to have different dens that she can take these pups and she can, she can that way. If she's towards British daybreak, she can take them to this den, to that den. She's still going to have a, uh, what we call a short circuit, but she's she's going to be more um, open to different dens where the weaning and the other portion time when she's birthing, it's a strictly safety den. Nothing uh, goes into that den. Nothing happens at that den except for her and her pups. If another coon comes in there and it's a boar, she will fight to the death to keep him out of there. The same thing will happen out in the woods or wherever she's at. She will defend these pups to her to the death. Once they start going on a nightly foray, she'll be a little bit more um, easygoing, if you will. Okay, and, and ironically, this is where a lot of the, the coon pups actually end up dying because they get hit by cars or or uh, uh, what have you. And, and it, 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 all those who are listening to the show. Uh, to make this show go easier for me, if you have a question or 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 you want to chime in and say something, just just please mark it in, and we'll stop what we're talking about, and 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 I'll I'll, I'll make sure I answer your question there. Your family groups will start uh, hunting and 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 foraging as a group, okay, and they're going to stay as a group for quite a long time. In other words, they're probably going to stay as a group clear on up until she comes into the heat. And even then, depending on what the weather is and what region you're in, she's probably going to, um, they may stay as a group well past her heat cycle. So if you're in the far north where where there's a lot of snow and there's a lot of cold weather and your coon tend to um, hole up more, okay, it's not it's not uncommon to have that sow with her and the, her 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 offspring with her clear up to almost where she's almost ready to drop her pups. You get into Jersey, you get down into Maryland, you get down into the South where the weather isn't as um, South Jersey that is isn't as uh, hard on the coon and they don't hold up for as long. Okay, 
you'll start to see the family units probably break up about now. Definitely by by the time she's in heat, you want to see the family units start to up, break up from her, that is. Okay. Now, what happens at this point is, even though the family group breaks up from her because she's coming into heat, what's going to happen there with that family group is up to that family group. Those pups may stay together. Sometimes you're going to have the young males, they'll stay together for almost a year. Okay. Um, sometimes the sows, depending on their heat cycle and how they're feeling at 10 months, eight months, you know, 11 months, they may split off from the other boars, uh, definitely. But if there's other small sows in, in the, in the bunch, they may stay with, they may stay together until one of them goes into a heat cycle or starts to be bred at 10 months or 11 months or 12 months or whatever their cycle comes in on. All right. So. This, you're still looking at your, your, your family groups. You're still looking at multiple catches at one site. You're still looking at your brains it's still focused up until January. Even into January, the breeding season is going on. You're still focused on possible multiple catches, gang sets, what have you. All right. After your breakup, okay, your males will, will start to become what we call males. Now, Ironically, after a year or after the breakup, let's put it that way, most people do not realize this, but after the breakup, most raccoons become solitary or loners. We all we know that about boars, but we really didn't realize that about females. We always anticipated, uh, um, you know, maybe a communal type of situations, but every coon becomes a loner. They become solid. They, they, they don't want other coons around them. Now, what changes that is, again, if that sow comes into heat at 10 months and she's bred, then she's going to obviously get ready to have young, and she's going to have her young with her for the rest of that year coming up. But if that 10-month-old sow didn't breed, okay, she will be lone, a loner until she does breed or until the following year. They're not going to actually um, uh, socializing in large groups. Now, where's the absolute here? The absolute's going to be on your weather, and the absolute's going to be on your dens and your den sites. That's going to be the absolutes. So in other words, if you're in a bad, bad situation, there's a lot of cold, a lot of snow, your coons have got a hole up, and you've got a barn there, you're going to get quite a few coons in that barn. Or maybe you've got a cave, or maybe you've got a groundhog hole, or something like that, where you could have a bunch of coon going into that that denning site and seem to be socially structured. But the truth of the matter is, if you ever go into a barn, and, and, and again, you guys, you know, that's going into the barns looking for these things, you'll find it. You'll have one coon here. You'll have another coon 20, 30 feet over there. You have another coon there. You have another coon over here. You have a coon down in the hole. You have a coon up in that hayloft. They're going to be separated from each other, um, in, even in that den, I've also I've also seen in tree dens or whatever. I might have one or two sows or three sows in that den. Very seldom do I, and I, this could be wrong, but very seldom do I ever catch two or three uh, sows and and two or three boars out of a tree den where they're absolutely held up, where the the, the weather has got them boxed in and they can't move around. I, I very seldom ever catch them multiples. Most of them I'm going to catch one or two sows. Or, or I'm going to catch one boar in in that uh, that den situation. All right. 
We also know that the boars are going to kill the pups, right? We also know that if, you know, in the springtime, if you've got a boar and he comes across some pups, he's going to kill the pups. That's why the sows will protect everything they got with everything they got to keep that boar from getting into a den. So if you're ever at a house and, and, a, and a customer says to you, I got a raccoon in the attic, you set a trap up, and you catch a great big old boar, breeder boar, guess what? That's all you got there at that point. Now, if you go up there and you, you, you see there's a sow, you catch the sow and you got the pups, then at that point, later on, you may have a boar come into it if it's a, if it's a communal-type situation. But most of the time, okay, you want if you catch a big old boar, for me anyway, I'm considering that job is a done deal. It's not going to um, be a, a lot of a lot of, uh, especially in the spring years. There's not going to be a lot of raccoons there. Now, what's the exception? You can have what we call communal den, house or barn or whatever, where your your boars. One boar will be there tonight, tomorrow night, maybe, or, or the three nights. He moves on, and another boar moves in. That could be an exception. So you've got to, you're looking at your dens, you're looking at your, your scenarios, what's your food sources, what time of year you're dealing with, what phase are you in. Again, we're not going to get into the phases here. That's for the ADC guys. But whatever phase you're in is going to dictate what you actually have going on in that in that den, what time of year. All right? So, again, uh, covering a lot of this stuff, the breeding season we've already covered, except for this. Here's what's going to happen. In the breeding season, all right, your sow is going to be in a den and she's going to get out. Depending on your weather and depending on, you know, the far north that you've got three foot of snow, she's going to come out of that den. She's going to walk around that tree, that barn, whatever. She's going to make her presence known. And the boar, he's going to travel even in snow once, once things get situated in the breeding season. Once love is in the air, that boar is going to travel. And he's going to travel from den to den. And the dominant boar is going to breed those sows. Once the sow is bred, she will go right back into her winter behavior, meaning if it's cold enough, she's going to den up. If it's not cold enough, she's going to move around. But typically, if, if, if it's a lot of snow on the ground, she'll get active around that den. When he comes, she'll let him breed her. And then she goes right back into what she's going to be, all right? Meaning, I'm going to go to sleep or I'm going to do whatever. Your dens can be a tree, can be a building. Uh, I'm seeing here in New Jersey more and more and more raccoons are going into groundhog dens. I know probably most of you have seen the same thing. If you've got a lot of groundhogs, there's going to be a lot of coon living in those dens in the, in the wintertime. And why not? You know, you get down about four to six feet that a groundhog digs down. What's the temperature down there? 54, 52 degrees, what have you. It's not a bad deal down there where they stick their head up out of the ground. It's going to be pretty cold up there. Okay. Home range of the raccoon. Well, there you go. That's that's going to be a, <laughs> depending on who you're talking to, but, you know, most of the research I see, all right, is going to be one to two miles square. But at certain times of the year, especially for boars, it can go up to 18 square miles. There's a lot of mileage those boars can put on. Also, if you're in an area where the food source is scarce or it's scattered, you're going to see that one to two square miles, maybe go to four or five square miles. Another thing that's going to happen is with your, your fronts coming in or your cold fronts coming in, 
you're going to see raccoons will move farther to a better food source, okay, as long as the weather is cooperating. Once you get into the snows, once you get into the heavy winds, then those coons are going to dent up closer to the food sources, all right? Another thing that a lot of people do not understand, especially as a fur trapper, is why would you, all right? Raccoons have circuits. I have not seen a raccoon area that didn't have a circuit. Now, may may differ on on um, how big a circuit is. For example, in my area, okay, for the majority of the year, once the sows move her pups out of the house or out of the tree, up until the breeding season comes back in and they're locked into a tree again, most of the time I can count on a five to eight day circuit for my sows and a eight to ten day circuit for my boars. All right. And this is so absolute or so close to being a, an absolute that anymore when I talk to, to a customer, I can almost predict within reason when those coons are going to come back just by asking the customer the, the, the right questions. So if, 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 I, if I said to a customer, how long was the coon here? Oh, it was here three or four days, okay? And how long has the coon gone? How long has the coon been gone? It's been gone two days. All right, well, figure, figure three, three to seven days, so three to, three to six days before the coon comes back. Now, when that coon comes back, and it's within that three to six days, they look at me and say, how did you know that? Well, for number one, the sow okay, will stay a little bit longer at each den site per day. She may stay two days to three days or four days, but typically your boars are going to be one or two nights, right? So when I'm talking to my customer and I'm saying to the customer, hey, listen, how many times did you hear this thing in the last week? Uh, two nights and then it seems to go. Is it, uh, all right, how long is it gone when, when it comes back? Oh, at least a week. If they say a week, I know I'm dealing with a boar most of the time, okay? Two days on, a week off, most of the time I'm dealing with a boar. If they say to me, two, three, four days, three, and then they usually, they'll say like twice a week, I can, I can almost say, okay, it's going to be a sow, right? As a fur trapper, you're not going to understand that. You're not going to see that. Why would you? Because you're, 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 you're trapping the cream, all right? But even at that, what's the circuit? What is the importance to the fur trapper? The importance of the fur trapper is when you come in there and you see that stream and it's just loaded up with tracks and you set your trap out, you may be on the what? You may be on that 5 to 8 or you may be on that 8 to 10, depending on what the majority of those coons are and what your region is. Now, when you get on down in the south or you get up north, I'm not, I'm not for certain on what your, what your um, circuit is going to be. But I do know it's based on food. And it's based on the ability of, or, or the, the, the amount of dens that can be found, okay, along with the population of your animals. So if you've got a high density of raccoons and you've got limited den sites, you're, you're going to see a different circuit than you're going to see with a, a low population of coon, a high density of food, and and a high density of dens, you're probably going to see a different different circuit. So it's up to the trapper to figure out how many uh, days or how often that 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 circuit's going to be. Now, 
when you get into the snow, you get into the cold, when you get into the the bad weather, January typically, January and February for for New Jersey, up in, you know, Wisconsin and up in the far north. I hear you boys, your tune's been blocked up for three or four weeks now at least. You're in a different ballgame. Your circuits aren't going to be as absolute. But when you get back into the rolling of the thing, in other words, if you've got a late season coon season, you know, late February, you might start to see these these uh, circuits build back up again. Okay? Um, I'm running down to, we're just about done to, the, to these generals. And, and again, I apologize if I'm rattling on and maybe boring to you. I wish guys was talking to me. But, but again, your, your coon are going to go through six phases in a year. I'm not going to go into the detail of those six phases. I'm not going to bore you with that. I'm boring myself talking about this show right now. But the phases that you're going to deal with as a fur trapper is going to be phase one, which is your breeding. And this breeding, this phase one, is going to affect both boars and it's going to affect sows. And why that affects the boars and the sows is simply this. We both know whether you, if you, or whatever, that when a when a sow comes into heat cycle or a boar comes into love, what is not on their mind? You got it, food. So when we're in a breeding season, everybody is saying, "What bait are you using? What bait are you using?" It should be, "What lure are you using?" Okay, because in the breeding season, food is not the, is not the major uh, mindset. It's going to be sex. They want to breed. So with your boars, you've got to find your trails. You've got to find your areas in which these coon are going to run because he's going to run long distances. Now, I'm not saying he won't eat, but he won't go out of his way to eat because love's in the air. The sow, most of the time in your regions, in the north anyway, they're going to be denned up. They're going to be in close proximity out to a food source. So your food sources are not going to be as critical when they're in that hormonal heat cycle. Now, once they come out of that heat cycle, they're going to want to eat like a pig, all right? But when they're in that heat cycle, they're not going to want to eat as much as they would out of that heat cycle. Well, that's about it. We're rolling up on, uh, I didn't think it was going to go this long. It, it did. It was uh, almost 52 minutes. Uh, and again, it's uh, mainly... And prep for the, uh, the the advanced dog proof trap um, course that's coming up because we're going to get into a lot of the stuff that we've discussed today. A lot of guys don't understand why raccoon won't go into a cage trap or won't go into a DP trap. They just think it's the bait. They just think it's this. They just think it's that. In fact, the reason they won't go into that trap or they won't go into a certain situation is because of what phase they're in or, or what predicament they're in or what mindset they're in at that point. So in January, February, you're going to want to use a lot of gland lures for your boars. That way you don't have to catch your sows unless you want them. You're going to use a lot of sets that's going to be right under their noses for the boars. You're going to use your, your, your blind sets. If you're using DPs, you want a DP trap that is going to come and bounce them right off the nose. But you want to make it, okay, that it's going to be, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, curiosity, maybe, or maybe um, uh, inviting, all right? 
So maybe that dog-proof trap sticking out of the ground in the middle of the trail isn't going to do it, but maybe if you dug a hole and stuck that sucker down in the ground and hid that bait a little bit and just made that smell coming out of there, that may be just what it takes to stop him for a second. A lot of little little things that we're going to go over with the dog-proof traps and, and, and what have you. Again, I apologize if this show is kind of uh, boring. It's a lot of this is the worst uh, part of it of the whole coon trapping uh, talks is going over these general behaviors and general habits. Um, one thing I want to add as a fur trapper, you want to work off your habits. You want to skim your cream. You want to move. You want to be in your places, okay to where you can catch the most animals you possibly can in the shortest amount of time. I typically, as, as Morgan, who's, who's listening, he'll, he, can, he can verify I say this, and Jeff even heard me say it a few times. Listen, in, in coon trapping, if, if a guy could have 20 places that he knows he can catch 5 to 10 coon in 5 to 7 nights, 20 places, 5 to 10 coon, five to seven nights. Boom. Get moving on. Find 20 more places. Five to seven coon, or five to seven nights, five to ten coon. In no time at all, you could have numbers built up as a fur trapper. But what it takes to be in those places, okay, is you've got to know where, well, I'll just put it this way. There are a lot of places that a lot of coon will go sometimes. But there are only a few places that all the coon are going to go all the time. Um, you know, Jeff and I was, uh, he's listening here, so I can i can say this. Jeff and I was talking the other night, and we was, we was talking about a few locations that he was dealing with down there in the crawfish ponds. And, and I said to him, I said, you know, you, you, you realize what you got right there. You've got one of those places that all the coon are going to go every time they're there. That's the place that you want to be set up all the time. You may not want to be set up 100 yards that way, even though the coon are running that trail, or you may not want to be set up 100 yards the other way, even though the coon might be using that trail, because all these other little trails are coming in, so you want to be at that one spot where all the coon are going to be every time they come through there. Again, I... um, Nobody's chiming in here, so I'm either bored you to death or or I've answered too many questions and, and we've got to be moving on. But running up here on an hour's time, I don't want to keep you too long. So, Morgan or, or Jeff, unless you've got something you want to add to this uh, to make it more interesting, or guest eight and nine, you're still on there. If you guys want to ask a question, I'm going to be getting ready here to uh, close up shop. I'm going to give you five seconds. One, two, three, four, five. Um, oh, whenever, man. <laughs> whenever you, my, my phone died, as I was telling you, I was trying to charge it, but uh, I got back on here. Uh, whenever you talk about these locations, you know, that all the coons use, could you explain a little bit more for everybody, myself included, uh, what you look for whenever you're talking about one of these locations? Well, and, and again, it's going to be according to your uh, geographic or your, or your, uh, how, how the land is laid, but. For example, you may have a, a, a stream, and that and that stream or that creek or that uh, river, we'll use a river, it's a better situation. you you got a river that's 40 foot wide, and it's somewhat deep and it's fast flowing. You're going to have uh, a cornfield off to the west through a patch of trees, and you've got a swamp down there to the, to the uh, south. 
okay? And then up on the other, on the uh, east side of it, you may have another whatever food source, maybe a, maybe a, a cow pasture or, or what have you, that the, that the farmer's feeding his, his cows in. And then off, you know, up, up to the other direction. So even though you're going to have a portion of those raccoons running that river, they're going to run both banks of that river, okay? We know that. That's, that's the number one. If you talk to a coon trapper, where is he going to go? He's going to head to the river. He's going to go to the water, okay? But there's going to be a large population of coons going to be coming off of that cornfield that I told you about, and they're going to be heading up to that cow pasture or that cow pasture down to the river or what have you. Right there where that woods road crosses, there's going to be a bridge or a woods road or maybe a log, okay, or whatever it is. Right there where that crosses that river, all right, is going to be your spot. Why? It's the it's the hub. It's the it's the funnel. It's the focus point. It's the block wall. If every coon that's going to be in there is going to be on that log or that 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 bridge, either on the right side of the of the creek or river, and on the left side. So the spot that you would want to be at would be on each side of that bridge. Okay, where the river is. River's crossing under it. That way you have your X amount of, of coon heading up and down the river on the right bank. You've got X amount of coon heading up and down the river on your left bank. You've got X amount of coon running that, that, that logging road down to the bridge or, or whatever, and then you've got them coming down off the pasture. Is that making sense to you? You hung up on me. No, I didn't. That, that makes perfect sense. Okay, the same thing could be, you know, um, the, the same thing could be in that, that cow pasture. Where you've got the, uh, the the farmer is got a, a cow trough up there, and he's putting his his cow feed in there, and it's up up you know up on the far end of that pasture. Well, everybody is going to wonder where, where everybody most of the time that I talk to they're going to be where they're going to be down on that they're going to be down at the woods line. Okay, to me at that point I'm going to be looking as there's usually going to be a cow trail running from the woods line up to that cow trough. Okay. There's also going to be a fence line running from a, usually a woods woods line to the cow trough. So we can't set at the cow trough because if we set if we set there at the at the feed trough, what's going to happen? The cows are just going to tear that set all the way up. So what you're going to what I would do is I will go on the opposite side of the fence where I'll run that cow that 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 cow trail on down to where it crosses a stream or maybe it crosses a swampy area or maybe it crosses a road or something like that. And if, as long as I know the cows aren't going to stomp the heck out of my sets, whether it's a DP or a foot trap or, or, or what have you, I'm going to put them there. If I'm using snares, then I'm going to run down into that thicker stuff where that cow trail, the biggest cow trail I can find, okay, is coming up out of that woods. Maybe that cow trail leads down to a nice shady area because uh, the summertime it's hot, and those cows will get down into that, that swampy, muddy area down there on the end of that, that, that cow trail. And hit, they'll lay in that that old wet soil in the in the summertime. Well, that trail, even though it's winter trapping season, those coon are still going to use that trail to go from point A to, to the to the feed at the cow trough. Confusing? Not confusing? Too much? Too little? Come on, Morgan, chime in here, buddy. What do you Don't mean? hang up on. Don't hang up on me, guys. Just keep it up. Make this thing interesting for these guys. That made perfect sense to me. I'm just absorbing it. <clears throat> you answered my question. <laughs> okay. I'm Morgan, what I, 
I'm making some snares right now, so I have to keep it on mute so you don't hear me hitting the anvil. That doesn't matter. No, so. keep hitting the anvil. It makes that adds that adds dimension to the show. You see, you see how much I, you see how much more I came alive by talking to somebody. <laughs> I Anything? I still want to see Morgan skin a, a coon in that record time one day. Well, I've seen him do it, and 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 he can. Uh, although he bailed out on us, I think on purpose uh, at the at the school. I, I skin about one coon a year now, <laughs> and that's usually on stage. But Jeff, you better hurry up because I'm thinking of retiring from it. Oh come on! <laughs> well, YouTube videos last forever. Maybe we could uh, video you or something. <laughs> All right. Either that or tell you that I'm getting the competition myself and uh, give you a run for your money. Mine might take about 15 minutes to do, but, uh, you know, maybe later in your career uh, we'll match times. All right, buddy. Well, here's a question for guest eight or guest nine. If you're listening, do you have any questions? Do you want me to cover anything else? Uh, what, what's your thoughts? Guest eight and nine, just type it in there in that box. Just just, just go in your, your – just type it in. And then hit that green arrow or the white arrow in that green box, and I can see the question you got, and then we can uh, we can get rolling on this. Um, one question is, when's the DP session scheduled? Probably two or three weeks if we can get uh, a few more guys on there. I don't want to just jaw myself. I want I want more guys being on that uh, to be on that show. So uh, you know, two three weeks if I can get some other guys that want to chime in on the DP trap. I know Sean said he'd, he'd come back on it. You covered exploiting uh, different food sources at different times of the year, didn't you? Uh, not, not in this this one. I didn't. Um, okay. And and again, I, I just I was just going over to general habits, but but Morgan just hit a nail right on the head in that um, you know different times of the year, different 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 things different things is going to cause the coon to want to eat. I know. Um, as you get into the colder weather, they're going to look for your proteins. Now, I'm not convinced that, that a raccoon will um, consciously say to himself, I need to get proteins because i got to put on my fats for the wintertime. I'm not, I'm not totally convinced of that. But I do think God puts an instinct into them to, to crave certain proteins. I know uh, in the, in the uh, fall of the year when the acorns are dropping, some of the best places to catch coons are where? Right up on top of those those uh, ridges, you know, right where the coons are running those ridge tops because they're just gobbling the uh, the acorns up. When the corn is in milk or, or in that milk stage, we all know about the coon uh, thriving to go in and eating that 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 corn that corn at that certain time. But they also crave it when it's when it's on the ground, you know, as the cold weather is coming in. And it's a simple reason for that. Corn, just like my horses, corn creates heat. You give your horses uh, corn, if, you, if your horse has some corn, it creates heat in their body, okay? It's the sugars and, and, and what have you. Same thing with that, that, that corn for the, uh, the raccoons. They'll, they'll eat the corn, the dry corn on the ground. Um, you know, obviously, if there's minnows and crayfish to be had, they're going to go after them. But after your, after your uh, rivers and, and creeks start to freeze up, then obviously they can't go after the, uh, the crayfish and the minnows and all that as readily. Um, but I have seen them dig and roll rocks over for the crayfish, as you have, or Morgan. Um, oh, right? yeah. Yeah. The, the the thing we have to deal with, if you're trapping tidewater marsh here for muskrats, 
as soon as the weather moderates in February, you got to deal with coons coming back into marsh. There's a certain amount of coons that are always out there, but after the middle of February, when the weather starts getting better, they all come out there. And they're going after the crabs, I'll bet you, aren't they? No, it's not crabs, but everything comes starts coming out there. And you get warm days, you'll see crabs. Yeah. There's bull minnows, but what they're really after is muskrats. Okay, yep, yep, yep. Okay, and they eat muskrats are reckless about it. They will follow you around and eat one or two muskrats every night. Once they learn to associate your tracks with food, they will follow you around. You have got to stop and kill them. Yeah, but you, you shouldn't be complaining because they skin them out pretty good for you, don't they? Uh, yeah, right. Put one on a stretcher. <laughs> I don't. They skin them out great. They turn them inside out just like a sock, just like I do. Yep, that's but they it. Still, but you can't get the mud off of them. They I know. Won't, they won't grade right. I know. Well, anything else you want me to cover in this, this general? Again, I uh, this is probably, I, I've got to say, this is probably, I felt, I feel, um, this was not was not one of my better shows that I've done. Um, I thought it was pretty so, good. I thought it was great. <laughs> I just, I needed you chiming in on me the whole time, so we could have just kept on talking and done, done a better job. Um, I'm going I'm to charge my phone more next time. I do have another question for you. You know, you. You know I do have questions. Uh <clears throat> Whenever I'm setting my body grips or my snares or whatever, I try to find natural pinch points because it's natural and it's easier on me. But <clears throat> I was just curious how much, because uh, it's not something I have to do often, but I'm just curious, uh, how much fencing do raccoons tend to tolerate? A lot. A lot. Okay. Now, now with that being said, do they need a lot? It depends on your. It, de- it depends on what's going on around you. In other words. Right. If I need it, yeah. Yeah, um, a lot of times uh, I don't use hardly any fencing at all. Like if I'm setting a if I'm setting a, a snare along a stream bank and I got a little mud flat that they're running that that mud flat that's eight inches wide before it hits the water. Okay, a lot of times I'll just take a stick about the size of your your finger, and shove it right on the water's edge, sticking up, and then hang my snare. Um, it's a little different with body grips, though, huh? I mean, well, no, I don't. I mean, again, I, I, I'm not the guy to talk about body grips on on land because I'm not allowed to use them. So it's 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 what limited I, limited experience I had. I won't admit to, um, <laughs> but but uh, uh, you know, I think your your biggest key and, and and some of them body grip boys out there can probably answer this better is um, taking your triggers and putting them to the side so you don't they don't right, they don't right. see an ob, ob, obstruction there. right. Right. I like to bend it uh, one straight down and one across the top for coons. Right, but. right. Now, okay. guest guest eight wrote on here, where two rivers meet and swamps all around too many places. No, I would be right there where the two rivers meet. I mean, you're going to have – I'm envisioning – I don't know if it's going to be a, a crisscross, but I'm envisioning a Y, if you will. And, and, and guest eight, tell me if I'm – Seeing, I'm, I'm thinking this thing wrong. Where, where two rivers are going to meet in a, in a swampy area, my my preferred spots, okay, will be on the outside um, banks, if you will. I don't know if that's making sense to you. Yep, there you go. Okay, he says yes. So in other words, those coon know about the Y, okay, or 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 the inside of the Y. They they know that. 
if they're running that, um, and and I'll, let's just say it this way: you got two rivers running, say uh, north, coming in, and they're going to meet running north. They know if they run the on the one river that's on the right hand side, they know if they run that bank, the inner bank, which would be, you know, the river on the right, and they or if they ran the inner bank on the river on the left, they know they're going to come to that point, which is going to be more or less a dead end. So they're either going to have to swim or they're going to have to walk all the way back around or find a log crossing or something like that. So what what they will do before they get to that point, unless there's a food source there or, or unless there's a um, uh, a reason to be there, dentry or something like that, me personally, I would be on the outside uh, bank of the river on the right and then I would be on the outside bank on the river on the left. Is that is that making sense to you, uh, guest eight? So I would be where the two rivers converge together across from each other, but I'd be on each 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 bank. So so theoretically, I've got those travel routes covered. Uh, did I say that right, uh, Morgan? Yes. Okay. Jeff, you got another question? You've got a ton of questions. You always have questions. Yeah. Uh, all right. Since uh, body grips aren't uh, part of your your style, maybe more going to chime in too. But I'll just use snares for you because body grips is just a power snare, pretty much, in my opinion. But yeah. uh, whenever you catch, say you have a coon trail through, uh, well, it doesn't matter, coon trail through thick vegetation or whatever. Whenever you make a catch in the uh, in the snare or the body grip in a coon, uh, whenever you uh, set it again. Do you set it right back there? Do you mute, move it a little bit? Because it seems like uh, I've noticed, I mean, remember, I haven't caught thousands of coons like some others, but it seems like whenever I catch a coon in a certain, I mean, the exact location, that I, it just goes dead or it's not as good. But it seems like whenever I move it just a little, you know, 10 feet up or whatever, um, it's almost like it's, you know, like it was the first time as long as coons are still passing. Have you ever noticed anything like that? Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, in, in a, in a cable restrainer or, or a snare, uh, depending on what my anchor point and if I can get him off that spot, if I can, if, if I can't get him off that spot, that's going to be destroyed. So I'll, I'll, I'll typically move to the next, you know, down to the, like you said, five or six feet that way or five or six feet that way, you know, same with, same way. with foothold, same with footholds. They're going to, they're going to make a cat circle and you got to move out of it. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and I'm assuming, I'm assuming with your, with your killer traps, um, they're probably doing the same thing to a point. In other words, they may not make a catch circle, but they're probably still uh, disrupting Secreting something a little things, bit, aren't they? Secreting things possibly or, you know, whatever, maybe. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't, me personally, I don't believe blood or the smell of the raccoon being caught there or anything like that has any bearing, except for, okay, and I will say this, if you catch a big old boar in that set in the breeding season or, or from this point on, Okay. I have seen where the the younger boars will avoid that spot. Now, I don't know if it's an absolute uh coincidence or just absolute or, or what what's going on there, but but and maybe some of these other boys can chime in on that. If if I catch a great big old boar, I definitely move the set uh, five or six feet or or ten feet, like you said. I, I don't want I, I I don't I, I don't know what those young boars maybe them young boars don't want their butts kicked 
you know, or or what have you. You, you just said it. <laughs> you just said you, it. Yeah. Uh, no. No. Get me. Understand what I'm saying. I'm, I'm talking about a day or two. Okay. A week from now, it don't matter to me. But but um, I personally think an animal can smell another animal that has been there for for three to five days with no problem whatsoever. And blood I, and is I blood is an attractor. Blood is an attractor, but but I think um, a, 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 an old boar to a young boar is a is a is a oh shoot what am I getting myself into type of thing. Um, you know I I had a, a a possum I had on the job and I took the trap and I just set it on the ground in my backyard there and then I left it there for an hour or two hours or whatever and I picked it up put it in the back of the truck and and did whatever I can't even remember what I did with the with the possum at that point. But about four or five hours later, I, I turned my dogs loose out of the uh, their pen. And, that, you know, running around, playing around and all that, they hit that, that, that possum spot, and they, they just smell it. Now, they don't like possums any more than anything else likes possums, but they was they was smelling it. All right. From that point on, for the next three days, when I turned the dogs loose, now, they wouldn't run directly to that spot, but what I noticed for the next three days as my two dogs was out in the backyard or in the yard there playing and, you know, romping around and not a care in the world as far as that possum goes, all of a sudden they would get down the wind of that spot where that possum was and they would stop what they was doing and go right to where that smell was and smell that for, you know, whatever time, minute, half a minute, 30 seconds, whatever, doesn't matter. But they did that for three days that I can remember. And and I remember it, it, it struck home to me thinking that, that the, that odor is there, and those critters knew it to to the point to where they didn't go right there because they remembered it. They went there because they smelled it. So that's something that that may be a situation that you're talking to with the uh, with the um, the killer traps. You know, you you got a coon that dies there, and he's laying there for half a night. Maybe you get some 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 of those twenty uh, percenters, or or maybe you get some of the spookier coon. It smells that and they back off of it. Um, and like you said, you just got to move the trap. Not that they're afraid of it, but that trap sitting there in front of them just is just enough caution to make them go around it or to back up. Is that making sense to you? Yeah, sure does. Because it kind of ties into it kind of ties into what you were saying about uh, you know a good spot where you're catching you know eight coons and two checks or three checks in one location or whatever. And the question from that would be. Those eight or ten coons, um, how many different set locations on a very small location are we talking about? You know, are we talking about uh, you know, rebating the same DP and catching them again? Are we talking about, you know, the DP on the left, the DP on the right? I mean, what exactly uh, are you uh, considering great? <clears throat> well, I mean, or for me, you, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to set three to five sets depending on, on the activity I'm seeing coming into it. And, and typically, I'm, and, I'll, and I'll set it right here. It's a bait station usually, okay? Usually I'm, I've, I've set up a bait station. I've got the coon coming in. Uh, I know they're going to, and, and guest aid, I'm going to hit your, your question there in a second on the DP there. Um, but, you know, I let my I let my bait station dry up. In other words, I let the coon for five days, six days, whatever. I let them feed out on that, that tube, and you saw the tube. It's a tube, and they, I let them eat it out. That way there's no more bait there as far as me feeding them. The only bait that's there now is going to be my, my my traps, and on on your on the sets near the near the uh, bait station, 
I, I will rebate them, no problems. And I, I've caught many a coon in the same DP in the same spot at that spot. Sometimes on the trails coming through, though, okay, because a lot of times I'll set the DPs up off the trail to catch them as they're coming in or catching them as they're going back out. Typically on those trails, I, I move the uh, the DP. And why? Because they're just, they destroyed the trail. And, right. And and for those who are saying, what is, what is he talking about? On a trail with a DP for me, I want that DP where their nose hits the son of a gun. All right? They're walking in with what on their mind? They're walking into that bait station with what? Give me some biddles. Okay? Their attention span may great, may be good, may not be good, but that trap set up right in the middle of that trail as they're coming through, and it bounces him in the nose. Wow, here I got this. Pretty, this is pretty good. Whereas when they're at the station, okay, the tube, where they used to, other coons pulling food out, food scattered all over the place. So when they come into that, they're actually looking around for the food at that spot. So a DP set within two feet of my tube, and I don't set it closer than that because I. Depending on my, what, how how much uh, reach they got, I don't want my tube destroyed. But you know, they're coming in, and and that, and now I've got a visual there, um, or maybe I don't have a visual. Maybe I got a no see them set or, or or what have you. But they're used to to looking. They're looking for the food at that spot. Whereas when they're coming in on the trail, they're anticipating the food at the other other end. Now, probably going to be a lot of guys that disagree with me on that one. But but that that is my my brain my brain uh, thinking at this point. Boy, All right. quiet. <laughs> I, I appreciate you uh, answering my question. I'll go ahead and let somebody else ask them, give some input or whatever. Okay, well I'm going to jump right on the uh, guest aid. He said in the DP show, uh, did you say any landlord? Yes, yes. Um, well, let me rephrase that. If you want, if you want sows or you want um, young boars, do not use a, a, a coon gland. Okay. Um, typically, though, with a gland lure, you're going to get your bigger boars. Is is what I find. Uh, if you use a red fox gland, if you use a coyote gland, you use a bobcat gland. All right, I will catch young boars or I'll catch old boars. If you use a coon gland. It's one of those things that can go either way. Um, it's funny, we, we use, I, I remember way back in the 90s, I wrote an article for WCT and on raccoons, and, and in that article I, I stated about the um, using raccoon urine to, uh, to evict sows with pups. And a bunch of them old boys back in them days jumped all over me for putting that in writing. Okay, because I was the first one to put that in writing, I guess. Even though it wasn't a secret to the guys who knew what was going on, it was it was a secret that we kept our mouths shut about. And um, so, you know, the same thing is you can take a gland lure for coon, and it can be an attractant, or more so, it can be a repellent. So, uh, not that they'll take off out of the house or whatever on a coon gland, but they'll avoid it a lot of times, especially a sow. She may avoid a, a coon gland. So um, they do catch more boars on a gland lure, meaning red fox gland, gray fox gland, coyote, bobcat, than I do sows. 
So yes, the, down here in about ten days, you won't be able to keep the borcoons out of your fox sets. Exactly, they exactly. will drive you crazy. Yeah, and and uh, it don't matter where you put them; they 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 wind it and they come right on in. Um, how how far off an edge will you put your uh, your your fox set, Morgan? Twenty five or thirty feet or more. Okay, yeah, and 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 that's one of the things you know. When I'm talking to guys with with DP traps, you know, I can use a DP trap. I can't use a foot trap, but even in the foot traps, I I I, I say to guys, "Hey guys, fox trap raccoon," and they just look at you and say, "What?" And you just say, "Fox trap raccoon." Make your dirt hole, make your flat holes, do your do your 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 glands, all right. And when coon are are, are bringing in that top that that top money, man, you just set those sets right up, 25 feet, 10 feet off the edge of that that. Uh, Woods line off that edge of that uh, fence row. Put put some gland lure in that hole, and it's amazing how many raccoons you catch. Yep. And the DPDs are having to work. And again, I just alluded to it. Make a dirt hole. Well, you don't have to use a foot trap for that. All right. <laughs> There's a lot of lot of little things there that uh, you could use in a dirt hole to catch a raccoon. So, um, gland lures, yes. All right, well, I thought we was going to close up in an hour, and it's going in an hour and 22 minutes. So, uh, Morgan, got anything you want to add? No, you did a good job. Guest 8, you want anything else? Uh, been, uh, most people dropped off in an hour, but uh, Guest 8, if you got another question, shoot it out here. I'm going to give you 30 seconds, because I know you can type faster than I can. I've seen how fast you can type. Jeff? You're making snares. You put me on mute again. Anything else you want to add? No. Uh, I enjoyed the show. Thanks for doing it. All right, buddy. Well, guys, I'm going to uh, hang on for just for a second. Okay. After after the show ends, I'm going to close up now. Want to? I want to thank everybody who's listening. Uh, hopefully, I didn't bore you too much tonight. But it was a it was a show getting you ready for hopefully a good show coming up in a few weeks on the DPS. Again. I want, I want to make sure everybody realizes this is the most boring stuff that you could talk about, the general habits. But when you come right down to catching a critter, the more general habits and behaviors that you know, the better off you are. Now, I'll add one more thing and then I'm going to close up. General habits is to catch the 80%. But when you want to catch the 20%, you're going to have to go to behaviors. You at some point you've got to learn how to read that coon or that fox or that whatever. You've got to start to learn the behavior practices. Maybe that raccoon has a general habit of walking down that edge, but his behavior or her behavior is to stop at that whatever spot and do whatever, or maybe to cut off. Okay. Hopefully, am I making myself clear on that? How? How? Uh, yeah. Habits is different than behavior. To catch the 20%, to catch a hard coon, you've got to rely on his behavior. Okay? There's a there's a post over on Trapper's Man where they're talking about the coons walking around a DP trap. And the simple the simple thing to do to to start catching again is change your set presentations. Use the same DPs, use the same bait. Just change the way you offer the trap. 
and hopefully we'll get into that in the DP show. Um, I want to thank Jeff. I want to thank Morgan, guest, and and the other guys that's listened. Um, again, I apologize. It's the most boring part of the whole coon uh, control talk that we give. But if you know it, it, sink, it sinks in and it allows you to be a better trapper. I want to thank God for allowing us to be able to hunt, trap, and fish in his creation. And with that, I'm going to say goodnight, y'all, and uh, we'll see you the next time. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.